I'd like to thank you so much for listening to our new episode today. I'd like to invite you all to a very unusual episode, but before I do so, I'd like to uh, introduce my good friend and co-host, Steve Smelsky. Thank you, Marshall. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Hope Through Grief. Today, we've got an interesting show. We're going to get in a little bit to a topic that we're all too familiar with right now. Marshall? Thank you, Steve. Uh, Steve, today, as you know, today's society has absolutely been changed and turned upside down due to the COVID-19 epidemic that is worldwide in scope and horrific in its effect on society in general. And as we all know, on grief in, in particular, the COVID-19 pandemic has taken all of us out of our comfort zones in the sense that we as human beings are social animals. We have a need to interact with other humans, to touch other humans, to have emotional response to our physical needs to be hugged and to love each other. Physically, and that obviously has all changed due to the pandemic, which now requires us to do things that humans generally don't want to do, which is to isolate and to be wary of contact with other people. And I think the effect that this has had on society has obviously been clear to all of us in the year 2020, which has turned everything upside down. But I also think it's going to have long-lasting societal effects, including how people grieve. And Steve, I know that, as I mentioned many times before, you have helped me and Debbie so much when we first met at GriefShare. And you sort of gave great life lessons for all of us who were just starting on the road to grief about what you need to do during your journey of grief. And I'd like to ask you to give us your sage advice that you usually give to people dealing with grief and how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed that. Usually when Shelley and I kick off a new season, we've got people, a lot of people we've never met before. It's the first time we've met them it's most likely the worst time of their life when they come in. Most of them have a hard time coming in the door. And we'll usually tell our story, what happened to us and Jordan. And then we talk about the things that they need to make sure that they don't do. And the number one thing that we always bring up is don't isolate. Unfortunately, in... 2020 with COVID, we're all supposed to isolate. No hugs, no face-to-face -face talking. You're the only one in your home. It's completely opposite of that concept. And the whole thing is to not isolate yourself in your home and it just you just sink further and further with nobody to help you, nobody to reach out to. So I guess we need to talk about a way around that because what we normally say 
doesn't work right now. Steve, am I correct that you're actually doing grief share virtually in, in the sense that you're not even meeting in person for grief share, which is the core of our experience with grief share was talking to other people face to face, hugging other people, being close to them. And am I correct? You're not able to do that now. No, we're not. We started back in February for the spring season. We made it through five weeks and then we had to go into isolation. We'd never had to do that in the last six years. So we weren't sure how to finish but we decided we would try doing a video conference call. We skipped one week and then went back to everybody and said, how would you like to join? We've had probably two-thirds of the people say, yes, we want to try it. And we made it through the end of the program. And by the time we got to the last couple of video sessions, everybody was used to it. They knew what to expect. They knew what we were going to cover, when they'd get a chance to talk and share and the last session, I'm not sure anybody wanted to get off because they knew it'd be the last time we'd be on a video call for a couple of months. It's interesting you mentioned that because um, I mentioned before that since Matt passed and died by suicide, uh, we've also been very involved in the suicide survivor community. And we have done some Zoom video conferencing with suicide survivors. And again, it is so different than what we're used to because usually we're in the same room talking and hugging and having physical contact. But the ironic thing is, in some ways, the isolation that we've all been going through has even made Zoom appealing because it's human contact you're not otherwise getting because at least you're seeing somebody seeing their expressions, seeing how they're dealing with their grief on their face. And it's better than nothing. So have you seen a positive response to the isolation that we're getting from the COVID-19 pandemic that we have to stay safe medically, but has the technology through the Zoom or whatever conferencing you're doing been able to at least help minimize that and to some extent? I think so. I think we saw it through the end of the last grief share season. When you first go from in-person to video, it's it's not the same. We you're right. We are social animals. We like to we like to be there, see the body language see the emotions, hear the emotions, feel it. During grief, there's an awful lot of emotions. A lot of us wear it on our sleeve. Showing up on a video is not the same as being in the same room. However, after about two or three weeks, I noticed that everybody was looking forward to the video call because it was the only interaction they were going to have. Some were working, some work, most work from home. And so just getting on video was awesome if you can't meet in person. Shelly and I went into isolation and we've got a group of friends we'll have dinner with occasionally, family we get together with. 
And after three weeks, we were all going nuts. Those first three weeks when we all had to isolate at home. So we got together video calls on a Saturday night. I think we did it the fourth weekend we were in isolation. And then we waited a couple of weeks and did it once more. Every, we had a great time. We played some on, online games. I think there were eight or 10 of us. And it was awesome after three or four weeks of not talking or seeing anybody to actually get on video and, and share it with friends. It's interesting you mentioned that because I last night I was watching TV and they had a college professor on and he was talking about how the college experience is going to be so different now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many colleges are going totally online. He specifically talked about Harvard. Harvard has decided to go online. I, I think definitely for the fall semester and maybe for the whole academic year. And what he said, something very interesting. He says Harvard will be charging $58,000 to regular tuition for this that he was trying to make a joke saying Netflix charges $120 a year. Harvard's charging $58,000 a year for an online experience. And what his joke was, he wasn't trying to equate Netflix to Harvard, but what he was saying is that we have to realize this is an opportunity because if we can get, again, not the same experience, but a comparable experience, whether it's through education or through grief, helping with grief, helping with the isolation, the, the, the loneliness, using the technology that we have now, it could be a wonderful thing in the sense that his point was college has gotten so expensive that many families don't have the opportunity to send their children to school. But with technology now, having the wide range of people that could use it would hopefully allow more people to experience a college experience, not on campus, but virtually. And he thought this would be a, a very good thing for society. So his point was something that is definitely going to change the college experience might ultimately be good for society by opening up the college experience to a wider range of people because it's gotten so expensive over the last 40 years that's been priced out of a huge segment of the society that we have. And with grief, Lord knows we all need people in general and specifically when you're grieving. As I mentioned before, being Jewish my whole life, there's something called sitting shiva, where when somebody loses a loved one, the whole Jewish community just basically takes over the family's house. They bring food, they bring friends, family to support them, where all the family has to do is really just 
try to deal with their grief. And it's really a wonderful community support. But in this environment with COVID-19, it's an impossibility. It's the antithesis of social distancing. It's the antithesis of everything we need to do to keep ourselves physically safe. But it's obviously having that taken away from us is making us emotionally unsafe because we're in grief and we're very, very, very susceptible to emotions that are difficult to deal with. So what I'm hoping is that perhaps society will be able to use technology to help fill the gap that the COVID-19 pandemic has taken from our human experience. Because the last time this probably happened was 100 years ago with the 1918 Spanish flu. And very few people, if anybody, would be able to remember that or even be alive since it happened a century ago. But I would assume that they had the same issues then, not being able to grieve in the normal manner. And they didn't have the technology we have now. So I'm glad to hear that the response that you've had with Grief Share in a technologically advanced method has been able to help people through the grief experience. That to me is, is, is good to hear. Yeah, that's an interesting topic you got talking about because as students consider participating in college online, if you take that model and it's becoming normal for businesses now because they've relocated employees to their home, I think you'll see permanent changes going forward. We've also realized from the grief process, though, when we meet in person, they have to be close enough to drive. And I realized I was working on our program for fall, and I reworded all of my documents because I realized we could have people joining from a different country. So it's kind of interesting. Our limitations, yes, we can't meet in person. However, we can meet with people from other countries as part of the process. Right. That's interesting because I will tell you personally, through the COVID-19 pandemic, we have used technology to stay in touch with others. Obviously, you can text, you can email, but I like seeing people face-to-face. And we have been using FaceTime, Zoom, Skype, uh, WebEx to see people. And I do think that that has helped us with the grief process. We recently had the anniversary of Matt's birthday and Father's Day, Mother's Day. And as you know, all of these can be tough days to deal with when you lose a loved one. And I did find the technology helpful to see somebody. So staying in touch physically obviously is the best case scenario but it's not an option and we almost have to become darwinian i think in some ways because you know some people 
misunderstood what Darwin was talking about, where they said, oh, Darwin said survival of the fittest. That actually wasn't what Darwin was saying. He was saying that it's survival of those species that adapt. And humans are now in a position in general and it, with in dealing with grief in particular, we're going to have to adapt. And at least for me personally, dealing with those days that would be milestones in the grief process because they make me think of my lost son, Matt, it has been helpful to use the available technology to stay in touch with others. I would agree with that. Isolation can make the feeling of grief and loneliness much more intense. If you can't see somebody, you can't go meet somebody, you can't go to lunch with somebody, maybe just getting on a, a video with them is enough for you feel like you're not isolated. You got somebody's face right there in your room. You're able to communicate with them, share with them. I think it can reduce the loneliness. So I would encourage anybody that's isolating right now that's going through grief and anytime you have an intense moment, consider doing a FaceTime or a conference on a PC or a tablet with somebody they know. Even if it's just a friend, if you know somebody who's also lost somebody, you guys could could help each other through the process. Yes, Steve. You were very brave telling us in prior episodes what it was like to be at the hospital when Jordan passed. I'd be interested in your thoughts if in today's environment you couldn't be there physically but had to be there virtually. I'm very interested in your thoughts on that. Well, that's a tough one. When we took Jordan and he was admitted, we tried to take turns the first day or so. And then when he got moved to ICU, we actually didn't leave the hospital. I've heard stories that um, in some cases, the parents can only go one at a time. Uh, depending on the severity of the condition, if it's COVID, they may not be able to be in the room at all. Uh, the patient's in isolation. So it depends on what the affliction is or what the sickness is, whether a parent or maybe a couple parents can be with the patient at the same time. If it's COVID, you're most likely not going to be able to, and they're not going to be in a condition where you can see them on video. So... That's a great question. How, how do you cope with the feeling of helplessness where you can't be there? You can't hold their hands. You can't spend time with them. You can't talk to them. In most cases in COVID, if they're in the hospital, they're intubated, so they can't talk back to you. It's, it's a lot different than what I would consider going through the normal process. It's interesting you mentioned that because your experience with Jordan is so different than my experience with Matt. As I mentioned in previous episodes that Matt passed away 
when he was 3,000 miles away. And the last time I physically saw Matt and hugged him was 13 days before he passed away when he was at the airport flying back to San Diego after seeing my mother in hospice. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was our goodbye. And although I know people would say, oh, you were so cheated, you never got a chance to say goodbye, I don't feel cheated because I did say goodbye in the sense that I told him I loved him. I told him I was so proud of the life that he had made for himself. And that's when Matt told me that he realized it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you deal with it. And that's the greatest thing that a parent would ever want to hear from a child. So that was my goodbye, because that was the last time I saw him. And I've been on this planet 64 years, and I've been able to learn that the one certainty in life is uncertainty. And if anything that we as a society has learned from the COVID-19 pandemic is that nobody has tomorrow guaranteed for them. And you have to look at every single day as a gift. And so I think COVID has changed the ability of people to be there perhaps at the hospital when somebody they love is passing. But I think the lesson we all have to learn is don't wait for that. Don't think you're going to have that in your back pocket that you could pull out at any time because you might not. And you want your loved ones to live as long as possible, but tell them when you see them that you love them, that you care for them, because you don't know that might be your goodbye. That is very true. I've had a lot of people come up and, and say, you know, we never got a chance to say goodbye, whether it was a vehicle accident, um, something else that was very quick. And I do share with them that Shelley and I were with Jordan when he took his last breath. And I can tell you in those last 10 minutes, we never said goodbye. We continuously told him how much we loved him. So if you're feeling cheated because you never got a chance to say goodbye, don't. Because you would never say that to your loved one. You'd be telling them how much you love them. That's really interesting because because Matt was 3,000 miles away, that there wasn't an issue that we ever dealt with. But hearing you say that, really resonates with me because I think you're right. I wouldn't say goodbye either. You just tell him how much you love him, which is what I did when the last time I saw Matt. And 
you know, I think we all see movies and think that, oh, that's what everybody does. And then you realize it's the movies. It's not necessarily what people do in life or what you want to do in your life if, in fact, you know that somebody is passing on. And I think that is something that COVID, again, is making all of us just look at the whole grief process so differently. And I'm at least enough of a optimist to realize throughout history, good has come out of bad. And that's hopefully what, as a society, again, in general, and with grief in particular, will result from the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you're right. Let me ask you, do you remember in the early days, first few months, where you you weren't yourself, you weren't thinking what you would call rationally, you would forget things, it was almost like you're only on 50% capacity. How would you equate how you felt then versus because it's almost like what we're going through on a daily basis. So if you've lost somebody and you're in the early stages of grief, how, how would you feel or what would you say to them? It's a really good question. The early stages of grief are so difficult because, again, nobody – knows how they're going to react until you're in that position. You could talk to the cows come home about how you'll deal with this situation or that situation, but until the situation of grief is right in front of you, you don't know how you react. All I can say is, you know, you made a very good comment in an earlier episode that you and Shelley, after Jordan's passing, are different people. The people that existed before are different than the people that, that exist now, and I would agree with that. I can't sit here and say, oh, I lost my son, I lost a child, and the same person I was beforehand. I'm not. I never will be. And I think that is the reality that once you're in the early stages of grief and even continuing through further steps along the journey of grief, you have to realize that to honor your loved one who's no longer with us, they'd want you to survive and thrive at the best level possible. And to do that, you got to eat, you got to drink, you got to exercise, you got to get rest. And you sort of have to realize life is for the living. And as long as we're here, you got to make the, the most of it. Is it going to be the same? Of course not. But even with the pandemic we're going through, people are realizing I have to live a life that is as meaningful 
and as hopeful and as hopefully joyful as possible, even during a worldwide pandemic. So I would just say that if somebody is going through the early stages of grief, everybody's journey is unique to them. And they're going to be dealing with issues and emotions and thoughts that are different from anything I experienced. But the universality of it is that we all have to take care of ourselves. We have to realize, again, life is for the living. And to do that, you have to take care of yourself in the best way possible, even during a pandemic. Great point. One thing I wanted to ask you, I remember a week or two after Jordan had passed, we had come out of shock. We'd gone through a second funeral service. And I remember like the rest of the world moved on and we were left behind and we're still with an 11 and a half year old boy. And I felt like that was never going to change. I, it almost felt like everybody else moved on. The world moved on 100 miles an hour and we would never catch up with it again. Do you think that's the same today with COVID? Because it doesn't feel like the world is moving as fast as what we would have before. Do you think that makes it easier as you start through grief right now? That's a very good point. I totally understand and relate to your feeling because you do feel that way because, as I mentioned in the Jewish religion, when you have the community and friends and loved ones over sitting Shiva, it's a wonderful thing, but it ends. The people that are helping you eventually have to go back to their homes, to their lives, to their loved ones, and live their lives your life is not their life, and their life is not your life. So that is going to end, and then you feel totally alone, and you feel that the world is going on and without you, which is an absolutely legitimate feeling to have. But for me personally, as I've gone through the grief process, and I think I actually mentioned this to you during one of the later stages of our, our grief share sessions is I really sort of looked at things differently as time went by because you realize you're not the only one in the history of mankind that is grieving. In fact, the history of mankind shows that everybody will be grieving I've said this before, that if you're fortunate enough to live a long life, you're going to be grieving a lot because you're going to have people that you love pass. And if you don't live a long life, people you love are going to be grieving you. So grief is the one guarantee that as a human on this planet, you're going to experience one way or the other, either people grieving you or you grieving your loved ones. So as time went on, I realized that I wasn't alone. 
look at human history, look at how many people before us have, have lost loved ones, lost children, lost spouses, lost siblings, lost parents, and we're not unique. And in some ways, it just sort of gives you sort of context to realize you have to be on your own journey, but it is a journey of humanity because we're all going to be dealing with it. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic in some ways could have made that more pronounced because people that are losing loved ones now to the COVID-19 pandemic are realizing this is a worldwide disease that is taking lives in every continent and every country uh, on the planet. Therefore, again, when it happens to you, you feel like you're totally alone and it's happening to nobody else, but then you realize over time it is happening to other people. And your timeline with your lost loved ones happened on the day they passed and other people just haven't had that timeline hit yet. It's a horrible thing to say, but we know for a fact more people will pass from COVID-19. It's just the reality of the situation. So people that are not yet grieving because of this pandemic will be grieving in the future because of this pandemic. They just don't know it yet. So you never want anybody to experience grief, but intellectually, you know they will. So I think, to answer your question, I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually might in some ways make the sense of uniqueness or loneliness or being completely out of step with the rest of the world in some ways lessened because you realize how widespread this pandemic is, how many people are losing loved ones, and how many people, therefore, are joining you on their journey of grief. I do agree with that because I remember the first grief class we went into. I was scared. I wanted to go through the door. Um, Shelly didn't either. We were so raw in grief, we couldn't even say Jordan's name. But after you get in there and you realize all those other people are in there grieving, trying to get help, you realize... I'm not the only one. And there's actually a little bit of comfort in that, knowing that you're seeking help in a class that many, many others are seeking help. So then you realize, okay, it's not just me. It's not the fact that I can't deal with it or I can't figure out how to deal with it or I don't know how to deal with it. Everybody is in the same situation. That's why they're there. So there is a little bit of comfort in that. Let me ask you a question. A lot of people say the first week or two, we had people there staying with us. They helped us during COVID. That's not possible. We all have to isolate. Very seldom do you get people that can actually move in and stay with you in that 
grieving period, you're going to have a lot of people that don't know what to say to you. You're going to have a lot of people that don't know how they can help you. You're going to have a lot of people that don't know what to say to you, but they offer up some help or they say, anything I can do to help you, please let me know because I don't know what you need. What would you encourage them to do? Because now we're in isolation. In some cases, we don't leave the house much. You might need to pay somebody to come do some things. If somebody wants to offer up help, how would you coach somebody to respond to that? That's a really good question because, as you say, all the time-tested rules for wanting to help somebody going through grief have been turned upside down and thrown out the window because of the COVID-19 medical requirements to keep us all safe. I think you almost have to really reinvent your thought process. I think you have to, I'm not, I won't be glib here, but on Father's Day, Debbie did something that, again, I'm trying to make a example of this, but, but not a comparison here. What she did, you know, I, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and anybody who's ever been to Buffalo, they know that Buffalo is the home of Buffalo chicken wings. And people in Buffalo don't call them Buffalo chicken wings, they call them wings. But everybody else that calls them Buffalo chicken wings, they're delicious. But there's all these other really good ethnic foods in Buffalo. Pizza, hot dogs, it's just fantastic. One thing that for whatever reason, I don't know why other parts of the country don't have it, there's frozen custard, which is an ice cream treat, but it's not ice cream, it's frozen custard. And people never had it. They eat it. They go, oh, my gosh, this is delicious. So what Debbie did for Father's Day is, and I'll give a free plug here, there's a frozen custard business in Buffalo called Anderson's Frozen Custard. I grew up on it. It's the most delicious, you can call it ice cream treat, but it's frozen custard that you'll ever have. And she was able to get this ship from Buffalo to our house in like 24 hours. And it was in a container, totally frozen in dry ice. And the, and the custard, you don't eat it like hard-packed ice cream. It's got to sort of get soft, like soft ice cream. So we let it melt, and it was delicious. And I looked at Debbie, I go, this is a wonderful treat, but also I commended her on her thought process dealing with this pandemic. I can't fly up to Buffalo. I would go to Buffalo, see a Bills game. What I would do, I'd get Anderson's frozen custard every time I'd go there. I'm not flying this year to Buffalo. They might even, even if they did, you couldn't even go to a Bills game because you can't have a uh, NFL game with, with any fans. So my point being is Debbie found a different way to help me on Father's Day. It sounds silly, but it helped getting 
Anderson's frozen custard on our doorstep. And so when it comes to grief, I think people that want to help, and again, I'm not trying to be funny here. If somebody knows somebody from Buffalo, sending something like Anderson frozen custard could help. Why? It's part of their DNA growing up. It made me feel good to eat Anderson's frozen custard because I felt like I was eight years old again with my parents. And I will tell you, I've taken Matt to Anderson's frozen custard so many times when we go to Bill's games together that it made me think fondly of wonderful times I had with Matt. So my point being is all the old rules are thrown out the window, but just come up with new rules. And for us, Anderson's frozen custard would sure do the trick because we love it. I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but there's an example of how to take where we are as a society and still try to help somebody through the grief process. By the way, you're making me hungry. (laughs) I do love desserts. Delicious. That's unique, and yet that's really neat at the same time. I think what I would say is we had so many people offer to help. They didn't know what we needed, but they would offer and say, hey, if you need anything. A lot of times we would say, oh, we're good. We're fine. We're doing okay. Oh, thank you. We're good. I would coach somebody now to figure out a way how they can help you. Once you realize that people are willing to step out of their way to show you that they care, they realize you're grieving, you're having a difficult time, you can't do the normal things. I mean, we're all suffering with that piece. So the fact that they're willing to offer it up, I would say, you know what? That's really nice. Yeah, I I could um, I could use some of this, or if you could drop some of this by, so I didn't have to go out. I have a hard time leaving the house, which is absolutely true. We did for months. Maybe they just drop it by the house for you. If they're out shopping, they pick it up for you. So, the fact that you got something that's really special and came from your past—that's awesome. But don't be afraid to say yes. I would agree with that. Again, it's just, I think, again, not just with the COVID-19 pandemic, but with so many things in grief, you're right. Don't be afraid. I think people are so afraid to say the wrong thing to make somebody feel worse than they already do losing a loved one. But just being there trying to help and figuring out a way to be the best human contact you can with somebody going through the grief process. It's not easy for any of us. So don't be afraid to do the best you can. And if something doesn't work, it doesn't mean you should stop trying. Just keep on looking for an alternative that does. And I think that applies to grief in general and specifically with grief in the age of COVID-19. I would agree with that. Absolutely. 
the thing to remember right now as you're grieving, everybody is going through a loss of something right now. Globally, we all are. I don't think anybody's doing a normal life, maybe New Zealand, but I think pretty much the rest of the world is, it's not normal. It's out of sync. People are missing doing things. So you're not alone in your suffering. One of the things I wanted to bring up, and it reminded me of a story that somebody told me. People can say the most worst comments to you after you've lost your loved one. And your first response is to blow them out of the water and, and just go, how could you ever say that to me? And I would encourage you to take a different take on it. Um, I remember people come up and say something in the grocery store and I look at them and I'm like, is that supposed to help me? That's like a horrible thing to say. But people ask us now, well, what should we say? And it's like, I've been through grief. I've lost my son and we don't always know the right thing to say. But a friend of ours was telling us he had lost his daughter many years before. And he got onto a plane and he sat down next to this lady. And somehow the conversation came around to children. And he had gone ahead and shared that his daughter died several years before. And she put her hand on his arm and she said, Oh, I am so sorry. I know exactly how you feel. I lost my cat a couple weeks ago and I was crushed. I'd had her for like 17 years. And I remember him saying, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, what'd you, what'd you say back? And he goes, you know what? It occurred to me when I saw her expression and how sad her face was, she actually took an effort to understand the level of my pain. And she took the thing that was closest that she had just experienced and she understood, even though she could never touch the level of pain that I was experiencing, she tried. And he said, I started to get mad and then I realized she actually did it in a very loving way and tried to put herself in my seat with the feelings that I had. And I realized, and I said, oh, thank you. That's very nice of you. And I realized she did her best to try to understand where I was at. And rather than just level on her, I was like, wow, she tried to understand my pain. So even though your initial thought is to just say, how could you even say that to me? Try and put yourself in their shoes of not knowing what to say, but the fact that they took and made the effort to try and compare it to something that they had to compare it to and try to understand the extent of the pain, even though they can't, they tried. It's interesting you mentioned that, Steve, because it made me think, two things. My mother always said, be kind to people, even if they're not kind to you, because you don't know what type of day they're having. 
And she mentioned, you don't know if they just lost a loved one and you don't know what's going on in their head between their ears, which is true. And there's an old story. I'm old enough to remember Steve Allen was the comedian who was the first host of The Tonight Show. People think, oh, Johnny Carson was the first host. No, Steve Allen, Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, and Jimmy Fallon now. And Steve Allen told a story that is a little bit of an analogy. And again, these things, they're not comparable, but they're sort of like a little illustrative here. He said that he was on the show back then. It was shot in New York. It was like live. And there was some incredible act that was on. I forgot what the act was. And the crowd was just was so appreciative, except there was one guy sitting there not clapping. And he looked at the guy and he goes, what's wrong with that guy? He goes, this incredible act. Everybody's clapping and really giving their appreciation for this incredible act. And Steve Allen said it sort of ticked him off. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Why isn't he clapping for this? And, you know, comedians can go out in the audience and say funny things that sometimes are funny, but also sort of hurtful. So Steve Allen goes, I'm going to show this guy again. This is live TV. He goes, he was going to go up to the audience before the commercial break and talk to this guy and, you know, and and say, hey, do you like this great act? And, you know, the guy was going to say, yeah. And then he was going to say, well, what's wrong with you? Don't you have any hands? Why wasn't clapping? And he said, right before he saw that, he saw the guy had no hands. He was a double amputee. And he said, thank God I bit my tongue and didn't say that because obviously it would have been unbelievably hurtful and a horrible thing to say on national live TV. The point being is you don't know what people are going through. And what Steve Allen thought was an insult, and he was trying to make fun of it, it literally was because this man had no hands. He was a double amputee. And I think with grief, you have to do the same thought process in the sense that you don't know what people are thinking, and it's hard for them sometimes to correctly put their thoughts together in a way that would be appropriate in in a difficult situation trying to console somebody. So I think what you said was a great story by giving people a break. They're doing the best they can. And I think what my, my mother said about you don't know what somebody's going through and Steve Allen realizing why was I even thinking about saying something like this when I should have realized maybe he doesn't have hands. And I think having people doing the best they can to help somebody through the grief, grief process is a exercise in tolerance. And Lord knows we all need that in today's world with the, with the pandemic and everything else that's, that's happening in the world. So I think it's a very good point you brought up. Thank you. There's a couple other things I wanted to touch on. Right now, with everybody in isolation, some people are grieving by themselves. 
some people are grieving with others uh, in the home, I would say, please remember everyone grieves differently. If you're grieving with somebody, you're both not going to be on the same page in your grief. So you just want to make sure you extend a little bit of courtesy to each other because you're not going to be at the same spot at the same time. So I just wanted to bring that out. That happens all the time. If you're alone, I would suggest trying to reach out to somebody, somebody that you know, even if it's just a neighbor or a friend. And we we mentioned video calls. Sometimes it's nice just to see another face when you're in isolation. But um, just remember, everybody has their own journey of grief. Nobody's going to understand where you're at all the time. That's absolutely true. I will tell you that Debbie and I are on different journeys. As a mother, she sees it differently than I do as a father. And we've learned to give each other wide berth in the sense of, again, being tolerant of each other's journey because it's not right, it's not wrong. It's just your journey. And I think your journey is going to be unique to you, but you have to have tolerance for other other people and other journeys. I think it's very, very good point, Steve. Uh, one thing I think that I'd like to mention is the fact that Matt passed by suicide is obviously something that is going to be with me the rest of my life because I'm very involved in the suicide prevention, suicide survivor community. And my fear is that the COVID-19 pandemic could have a very negative effect on the suicide rates throughout the world. And again, it's to be determined what the long-term effects of this pandemic will be. But I've heard many medical and mental health experts very concerned about the issue of suicides. And somebody that obviously is dealing with grief is experiencing emotions that they probably never felt before. And you add in the societal changes from the pandemic, it could be a difficult situation where the issue of suicide might be something that has to be dealt with. And I always tell anybody that I'm ever in contact with to contact a medical mental health professional immediately if there's ever issues of suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts. There is a national suicide prevention hotline. Calling 911 can also be an option for people that are 
in a situation where they think that themselves or somebody else is in a life-threatening situation. So I think as part of the COVID-19 effect on the grief process in particular, society in general, is we all have to be more cognizant of things like suicide that we weren't before. And I think it's important for everybody to realize there are people and programs that you can and should reach out to if you or somebody else is in need of medical mental health treatment due to a potentially life-threatening situation. Great point, Marshall. Thank you for calling that out. I know we've talked about a future episode. Yes, Steve, I think it would be very helpful for our listening audience to tune into our future episode on suicide because obviously my journey of grief has been profoundly affected by the fact that Matt died by suicide. And I've talked to many, many, many people that lost loved ones from suicide. And the grief journey they are on is different than other people's journeys that lost loved ones from reasons other than suicide. So I invite our listening audience to please listen in to our future episode on suicide because I think it will be very illustrative as to the specifics of dealing with the loss of a loved one to suicide, but also generally with the grief process. Because again, everybody's journey is unique, but there are common principles that we all can use to survive and thrive through the grief process as our loved ones would want us to do. Because again, life is for the living. Thank you for sharing that, Marshall. Um, That'll be one of our up-and-coming episodes. Um, We realized when we got together for this episode of COVID that the suicide was we'd have to come right after that and, and cover the topic of suicide. As we wrap up this issue today, I also wanted to mention that um, a lot of the healthcare professionals are doing counseling online now. If you're struggling at home, you're in isolation, haven't been going out, uh, it's okay because a lot of the doctor's visits now are either online via video or just a, a phone call. So there's also op- options for counseling today online as well as a grief program. There's plenty of those available as well. So we just want to make sure that everybody has all the information that they need to help them on their journey. And so – I want to say thank you for joining us today on Hope Through Grief. And Marshall, thanks for helping us out. Steve, thanks so much for, again, your great insight and your great guidance uh, to me in particular and to our audience 
in general. And I look forward to uh, talking to everybody next week. Thanks, everybody. Stay well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Hope Through Grief with your co-hosts, Marshall Adler and Steve Smelsky. We hope our episode today was helpful and informative. Since we are not medical or mental health professionals, we cannot and will not provide any medical, psychological, or mental health advice. Therefore, if you or anyone you know requires medical or mental health treatment, please contact a medical or mental health professional immediately.